Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to Solving America's Military Recruiting Crisis. Please welcome Tom Spohr, Director of the Heritage Foundation's Center for National Defense. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us today. We have a great program, really excited about this, uh, so let's get to it. As you probably know, fiscal year 2022, uh, the year that ended October the 1st, was the worst year for military recruiting in terms of meeting numerical goals since the start of the all-volunteer force in 1973. And unfortunately, 2023 is shaping up to be even more challenging. All the military services are experiencing difficulties, but the Army, because they need the most people, is having the most difficulty. The Army fell short of its recruiting goal last year by at least 15,000 soldiers, and they had to cut, for me, more significantly, they had to cut their authorized end strength by 15,000, too, kind of reflecting this, this thought that they are not going to be able to make up uh, that shortfall. And they are predicting even being at a smaller end strength in 2023. We refer to this as an Army recruiting problem, but it's really an American problem because a shortfall in the United States Army is going is to result in a deficiency in our U.S. national security and an overall weaker U.S. national defense. We are really lucky this morning to have two experts joining us today to talk about this and to offer their insights. Major General Johnny Davis, who took command of U.S. Army Recruiting Command last month, early last month, and Dr. Beth Ash, senior economist at the RAND Corporation and author of many of the foundational studies on military recruiting. So this is how this is going to run today. I'm going to ask uh, these two experts, these leaders, a few questions for about 20 or 30 minutes. Then we're going to turn to you, the audience, and see what kind of questions you might have, both the ones that are gathered here in our auditorium as well as those that are, that are online. And if you're joining us online, there's a, a, a space where you can type in your questions and hit send, and they will come right to us, and we will do our best to pose those to our experts here. I encourage you to start sending those questions the moment you think of them. If, if by chance we've already answered your question by that time, we, will, we won't ask it again, but you will be uh, up there in the queue in terms of asking for questions. For those of the auditorium, just raise your hand and we'll, we'll bring a microphone to you. So I'm going to start with you, General Davis, and uh, by means of introduction, General Davis uh, is a career infantry officer uh, assigned to, I think you took command October the 5th? 5th yes, sir. Yeah, very uh, nice. Five and a half. And uh, he has served, I won't go over his distinguished history because it's extraordinary, but he has deployed to places like Haiti, Iraq, Kuwait, and Afghanistan. And he has commanded at all levels the United States Army, but I'm going to I didn't tell him I was going to say this, but I think you have met the most challenging assignment that you will probably face in your career with the one you have right now. So welcome. Thanks. Great to have you here. Uh, first question to you, fiscal year 2022, obviously a very challenging year. How is 2023 shaping up? And maybe more importantly, what is the Army and, and you doing differently this year? Well, first, uh, thanks, sir. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, ma'am. It's an uh, honor to uh, be next to you as well. And good morning, everybody. Uh, I just want to be open and transparent. I've been in command about five and a half weeks. 
I love every uh, single moment. This is certainly a challenge, and 2023 will be a challenge, and I think we all know that. I think there is a number of uh, issues out there, but I just want to make everyone aware that our Army senior leaders, and what is different from 2022, is that there is a complete focus on uh, recruiting, and the Army Secretary has made it her number one priority. Uh, she said what's on her mind are three things, recruiting, recruiting, and recruiting. Uh, and the whole Army uh, is behind us, and the Chief of Staff is, uh, has made that very clear. So that's what we're trying to do to get after it. So a number of things that we're trying to do. One is reintroduce the Army back to our American public. Uh, just think about it. There's a number of different things that have occurred over the years. It could have been qualified. It could have been propensed. So we know that, but then we put in this thing called uh, uh, COVID where we take the actual recruiters out of the uh, access to the high schools for two and a half years, and that's access to an entire generation. Uh, so now we are uh, full blast back into our schools uh, to try to reconnect. And so that reintroduction uh, of the Army to America is so very important. And, and we'll talk about the number of recruiters, and that's where I'm focused. I'm focused also on the people, uh, because a, is there a training shortfall now that we are back in the schools and back reintroducing? There's a, a leadership and culture uh, piece that I'm working on very closely, a quality of life, and also are our recruiters in the right location? Now that we're, I can tell you by zip code uh, exactly where we're witnessing success. Uh, so that's where a lot of my focus has been. And uh, sir, thanks for that question. And uh, this is something that's always on my mind. Thank you, General Davis. I appreciate that. We're going to turn to you, Dr. Ash, at this moment. She's a senior economist at the Rand Corporation out at Santa Monica, uh, California. Her field of study includes labor economics and defense manpower. She has led numerous studies on compensation design in the military and in the federal civil service on the workforce implications of state and local pension reform and on military recruiting and personnel supply and i will mention as a side note as i was attempting to learn more about recruiting if you google military recruiting you will a moment in a second come up with dr beshas because she has written many of the foundational studies that look at what are the factors that influence young people to join uh, the military she obtained both her master's and her doctorate in economics from the University of Chicago. So Dr. Ash, welcome. Uh, question to you. What do you think is driving the challenges in recruiting? And what role, if any, can additional compensation, uh, bonuses, incentives play in turning this around? Okay, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here with the General and with you. Um, and to speak about such an important issue to an important forum. So thank you for the invitation. Um, so what I can speak to is what the research has to say. Um, and there's been a huge body of research since the beginning of the All Volunteer Force, and frankly, even before in 1973. And there's sort of a, a series of factors that affect recruiting, having to do with the eligibility of the target population, and sort of a side note, waivers, the ability to waiver certain things, propensity to enlist, resources and resource effectiveness by which things such as bonuses, advertising, recruiters, and so forth, 
importantly, recruiter management, the selection recruiters, the training of recruiters, the motivation of recruiters, the deployment of recruiters, the, the whole aspects of recruiter management is critical, and also the role of the civilian economy. It seems that all of these factors are relevant today, although some more than others, and I would argue that some of them, I think, are red herrings that there's been attention paid to, but I don't think they're the cause of the recent crisis. The first one I have to speak to is propensity. Uh, it doesn't mean that low, propensity is low, and that is an issue, but propensity has always been low, so it can't explain the latest. Um, Dr. David Chu often speaks that it's not an all-volunteer force, it's an all-recruited force. The reason why recruiting is so difficult is because you have to convert the non-propensed to being propensed. And if everybody is propensed, we wouldn't need the recruiting command. <laughs> Just, you know, like yes. fish in a barrel, right? And so, I, yes, propensity is low, but it's always been low. Yes, it's been going up and down. So I, I think low propensity is worrisome, but it's not the cause of the recent crisis, I don't think. Um, another one is eligibility. That's a problem, and it's definitely worthy of concern and, and attention. But again, eligibility has also been a perennial problem for many years. And so I would say maybe there's some new issues emerging with COVID. You know, people, I've heard you know, about uh, education being lower quality and you know, ASFOB score is lower. I haven't seen the evidence on that. That's a possibility. But again, I don't think that you know, suddenly Americans' youth are not eligible because that's been around for a while. Um, so what are some of the factors, well, that do affect recruiting? Well, we know um, the civilian economy, there's tons of research showing that as the unemployment rate goes down, when we have a strong economy, recruiting becomes more difficult as, as when civilian earnings are rising, again, recruiting becomes more difficult. And of course, we do, you know, we have an uneven economy, but we certainly have low unemployment rate. That said, there's aspects of the civilian economy we don't understand, and there's trends, you know, because recruiting has been going well for a number of years. I think the entire recruiting establishment, not just the Army, has ignored some of these civilian trends, such as the low em employment rate of young men. We've heard about the great resignation, um, quit rates rising. Uh, we know that young men are not more likely to go to college. In fact, young men are less likely to go to college. So what are these young men doing? There's research in the labor economics, but that hasn't been brought to bear in recruiting. We don't understand what's going on in the labor market with the, the uh, army and the military's target market. And of course, with COVID, the changes, people's idea of work-life balance, working from home, those are emerging issues that we don't know anything about. Finally, resource effectiveness. Uh, recruiters matter tremendously. Um, and it's very important that not only are they selected well, trained well, but I'll come back to being motivated. There's a lot of research that shows that if recruiters are not properly motivated, they will, you, you will not reap the benefits of, say, a bonus. You increase bonuses, you won't get the full expansion effect of bonuses unless you've motivated those recruiters to reap that expansion. Um, marketing, the media, what media, what, uh, you know, the message, um, are clearly important. And then, but there's also factors we don't know, and that has to do with changes in uh, public trust. We know that in the military has declined. It's declined for other 
institutions in America, so it's not clear if that's specific to the military. There are hypotheses going around about that. Is it due to you know sexual assault stories, food insecurity, you know withdrawal from Afghanistan? My colleague, Mr. Spohr, has talked about the woke military. There's all sorts of theories going on. We don't have evidence on that. So, let me speak. I know I've talked probably beyond my time, but um, so what to do? The, the short. This is like kind of a short and long term. In the short term, so does money matter? Yes, money matters, but in the short term, and bonuses are a good policy in the short term because you can deploy them quickly, but they're not the most cost-effective approach because bonuses are really meant for skill channeling. They're not such a great market expansion relative to other resources like recruiters and marketing. So, in, but in the short term, they're, they're a good stopgap. But really, to solve recruiting in the short term, the trick is to increase retention. Now, that's not in your bellywick, but increasing retention should be job number one right now to make end strength. I'd also think about waivers. I'm not up to speed on what's going on with waivers, but we've done a lot of research on waivers, and waivers can be extremely effective without reducing downstream uh, performance. I would increase the number percent of non-graduates. Doesn't mean every recruit should be a non-graduate by any means. But when you're already at 95% high school grads, going down to 90% will not change the quality and performance of that entry cohort. Um, in the longer term, start thinking about getting the recruiters out there in the right places, and then getting a handle on what we don't understand, like what, what's going on with the civilian economy. Get the, mar the marketing out there and the right marketing and the right message. That's perfect. Thank you so much. I, I found that fascinating. Let me pull a couple of strings in what you just said because uh, so you, sometimes you hear an argument that the military isn't paid enough. And if we uh, increased basic pay, uh, the military would become more attractive. Do you, what, what do you think about that idea? So military pay does ex in, increasing military pay increases improves recruiting. You know, increasing pay in the military relative to civilian pay increases recruiting and particularly of high quality recruits. It also increases retention. So pay is a, uh, an expander of the market. But pay is extremely expensive. It's not targeted, it's the least cost effective way, not only because it's an across the board, everyone gets it, but it's baked into the retirement and it's baked into the future, right? You went to then the base next year for pay rates. So it's in a very expensive policy and really, it should only be considered if there's really an across-the-board problem. My understanding is that retention, and, and oh, by the way, you're increase, increasing pay for you know the services that are having less difficulty. It, so, if an across-the-board pay rates makes sense when there's an across-the-board problem, and I don't believe there's an across-the-board problem with manpower in terms of recruiting and retention. Um, and so I, I wouldn't speak to pay. In terms of junior personnel being underpaid, we know that military pay for people with between one at zero and 10 years of service is at about the 84th to 90th percentile of earnings of comparable civilians. D different way, you know, in English, that means military personnel are, are paid more than their civilian counterparts. That doesn't mean they're overpaid because, you know, the military is rigorous, it has, it's arduous. I mean, there are reasons why it is that, but it's certainly not underpaid relative to their civilian counterparts. Um, so does that mean you shouldn't have a pay raise? No, but I would think going through these other avenues before going to the pay route uh, is, is the prudent thing to do. Okay. 
Right, so I'm fascinated by this topic. We're going to stay mm -hmm. on compensation and stuff just for a minute longer. And that is, uh, last year, fiscal year 2022, the Army offered uh, $50,000 enlistment bonuses, I think, for people that could come in the military fairly quickly. And to my knowledge, and I don't even know if the data is available yet, I don't think that made an appreciable difference. Do you have any sense of whether that was impactful? And maybe General Davis, you as well, because I, I don't know, but it didn't seem to change the trajectory that the Army was on in terms of recruiting. Well, you know, we don't understand the counterfactual of what would have happened had they not done That's, that. Yeah, and point. on the other thing yeah. is, is what, all, what, what else was going on? Yeah. So we didn't hold those things constant, right? Um, the evidence is that bonuses do expand the market, including these quick ship uh, bonuses, but they are costly. Yeah. And so uh, they, as a market expander, you might want to think about other things instead. Um, that said, I wouldn't shy away from bonuses, especially because you can deploy them quickly. They can be, you know, money can be reprogrammed to bonuses. And I think there's a, something to be said for increase. I know Congress is thinking about increasing the cap on bonuses. I think that is something to worthy of consideration. Not to say every bonus should go up to the cap, but that flexibility should be there for critical skills that need filling. You know, I, I consider myself an amateur and historian, and when they had bonuses in the Civil War, they got the wrong kind of people that came in for the wrong reasons, I thought. And so I don't know if there's an answer to that. Well, that's with, you know, screening and all yeah. the work that, yeah. you know, the recruiters and MEPCOM, you know, do. Yeah. Okay. General Davis? Sir, if I can add, and, and this is a great uh, topic, in terms of, of bonuses, you know, I think not having experience in recruiting uh, command before that when you put out a $50,000 bonus, given I've been in over 30 years, you would think we would raise the number, but when, in fact, we did, of course, start to increase, but not at a, a number that we think we would meet the requirements. Uh, and what uh, Dr. Ash is absolutely correct, what we saw uh, huge gains were in our quick ship uh, and our station of choice. Uh, so we gave the choice of, uh, to future soldiers of what we'd like to serve, uh, and that became one of our uh, station of choice. Uh, became one of our, our big uh, draws uh, for future uh, soldiers. So, and we're going. Those are still open, uh, but you know the the knowledge of uh, or the um, release of a fifty thousand k bonus, which I thought was, um, you know, withdrawal, uh, did not. You know, it certainly did bring in numbers, but not at the numbers that everyone thought they would. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, Dr. Ash talked a little bit about the challenges of recruiting. Do you have anything to add in terms of what you see as uh, challenges to recruiting now? So I get a chance uh, in this uh, job to, to get out there and talk with the youth. Matter of fact, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm an active recruiter like everyone else. Uh, so if I spot someone uh, in the hallway, I'm going to talk to them. Uh, and I've, I, I've asked each and every one of them, what are your what perceptions are out there? And I think there's an image uh, problem that we have to address. Uh, and I think the secretary was absolutely right. Um, a public image, you know, and I think we've all thought of them when you consider the military, hey, I'm going to, will I get hurt? Uh, two, will I uh, be affected by, you know, some behavioral health issues, PTSD, something along those lines? Or uh, will joining the military cause me to uh, put my life on hold or be away from my my family so that is an image 
piece that we have to address. And also, when we address that, we also have to understand what the value proposition is. Um, you know, I have a large family, uh, and two are out of the house. One is active duty Army, second, uh, joined the Marines. Uh, and then we had about eight-year break, and we had other uh, daughters that are in the generation now, and they see things differently. Uh, and that is uh, eye-opening for even inside the family um, because they say, hey, Dad, you know, my 17-year-old, I think I can, you know, receive the same type of benefits uh, because there's a competitive market out there that wants my talent. Uh, and she's absolutely, you know, right when you look at the current market. And, of course, uh, trying to, you know, share that or arm our recruiters with the data to, uh, share that value proposition, that is, that's hard. Uh, and that's uh, what I'm really investing in, in terms of helping to retrain uh, our recruiters to understand how to approach and, and share in this current market. This market is changing. It's different than what it was last year and different than it was two years ago in terms of how we, um, how we communicate uh, with future leaders uh, who, will, who will lead this nation in the future. That's excellent, yeah. You know, and just I'll make a comment here, and that is, you know, if you just watch TV all day, you would take away this image that you come back uh, from military service traumatized, broken, uh, missing a limb or something like that. And those are certainly possibilities and dangers. <coughs> but the overwhelming majority of people that serve come back better citizens. They come back who vote at a higher percentage than average Americans. They they volunteer in their communities and they lead more efforts in their communities than the general population does. And that story is not told. You will not get that uh, from our popular media uh, type things. So that's, uh, that's a great point. And I share uh, my Army story. I'm a kid from inner city Milwaukee who sought a way, uh, I mean, I think the calling occurred earlier on, but I needed a way to um, I, you know, from academic perspective, I was able to, you know, be accepted into college. Uh, but for me, it was the how to get through college without incurring a lot of debt. And I didn't want to start my life. I had a girlfriend at the time, now, now my wife. Uh, so ROTC uh, was a manner for me. And, and you know, having the, having the uh, my grandfather said, Hey, that that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, it's a perfect uh, pathway for you, uh, and that's where you know I what drew me to ROTC and service to this nation. Uh, Thirty-three years later, never expected I will still uh, continue to serve this wonderful nation, uh, and have my own, see my own children uh, grow up and begin to serve. Yeah, thank you for that. So um, I want to get back to this idea of recruiters and their impact on this recruiting issue. And so uh, last time I checked, and it's been a while, you have uh, the Army usually keeps eight or 10, so maybe as many as 12, sometimes 1,000 recruiters out in our towns, cities, counties, and territories recruiting the force. Is that kind of where you are now? And, and talk about this recruiting force. Do you want more? Do you need more? Or is it just a matter of uh, redeploying the assets you have? And then Dr. Ash will. We'll kind of get your thoughts on recruiters as well. Well, uh, thanks, sir. And to answer your question, yes, uh, our number of uh, on-production recruiters are about total 
over 9,500. Now that's, I have recruiters for chaplains, special operations, medical, but when terms of enlisted recruiters, you're about right, about over 8,500. 8, Those are on production in the stations, uh, wherever they are from Appleton, Wisconsin, Key West, Bangor, Maine, you name it. Uh, those are our recruiters. So to ask, to follow up, would more recruiters bring in more recruits? Yes. But what I will share before I offer that option for our Army scene leaders, I will look at the colonel, uh, current force because I think there's an underlying assumption that having a recruiter means they recruit. Uh, and not all recruiters are, are successful. So to me, it's all about what is the efficiency of the current recruiting force? And before I go back to our leaders to say I need another five to 600 recruiters, um, I have to look understand the productivity of the force at hand and are they in the right locations? Because it does me no good to place additional recruiters in the wrong location would be right where we started. Uh, so that is something I owe our leaders and that's what I'm looking at right now because that was one of my first questions. Hey, are we, you know, do we have enough recruiters? When in fact, when you really take a look at it and they're in every zip code, are they are in the right locations in the zip codes uh, to recruit for our nation? And that's what I'm really, and is there a training aspect of this in addition to uh, in a public awareness piece as well? So, ma'am. Let me just pull one straight thread and then we'll go to you, Dr. Dash, and that is, um, you brought to mind a question, that is, recruiting duty in the Army has never, at least in my memory, been perceived as career enhancing and maybe even attractive. Uh, what, if anything, is the Army doing about that situation? So recruiting is, uh, is a tough job, but I would uh, say, sir, that the recruiters go on to uh, serve successful careers uh, in the Army. Uh, matter of fact, uh, promotion rates from E6 to E7 are a little bit higher than the actual uh, force. Uh, and we want to continue to reward our men and women uh, to, you know, step forward to recruit. This is a challenging job. You would ask any sergeant uh, or staff sergeant in the Army, uh, would they want to, you know, serve as a you know, drill sergeant or recruiter or you name it, airborne instructor, guess what? The, they'll name all of the above except for recruiters because it, it's a little harder uh, job. And we're asking them to, you know, depart their posts with commissaries, the PX, you know, child care, all of the uh, capabilities for families. And we're asking them to, uh, deploy their family to a place they've never been before uh, to serve. Now, I'm addressing that now in my time. Right now, I think we have about 56% of my recruiters in the Army Recruiter College right now since I've taken command. I want to make sure they try to get their first choice. Uh, so right now, we're about 56%, and I want that to grow. I want recruiters, if they're from Wisconsin, I'm from Wisconsin, I want them to be able to uh, serve in their home state. I think that gives us a, uh, gives them a little bit more confidence and the impact and to tell their story. Great, thank you. Dr. Ash, this idea of recruiters and its impact. Yeah, so, um, you know, recruiters are important, but 
the mission and getting them in the right locations, absolutely. But getting the missions they're assigned in the right location is critical. You know, you don't want to, you might have a bunch of recruiters in, you know, in Milwaukee, but they're under-missioned. So the missions have to follow the market, not just the recruiters. That's part one. Um, the, we, we know so much that these incentives of giving these missions, the role of, you know, the Army has gone historically um, from, mo you know, having team-based incentive programs where you reward the entire battalion or the entire station if the station makes the mission and not have individual missions. And they went to individual missions and they found that recruiters weren't sharing information adequately, so they went back to the team. My understanding, having follow this literature pretty closely is you need both. You need both, you, you need to have incentives, meaningful incentives. One way to do that is perhaps through SDAP, special duty assignment pay. I know the Navy has experimented with making the amount of SDAP dependent on recruiter productivity uh, in meeting their mission. So part one is get the missioning right as well as the recruiters right in terms of allocation to markets. And two, get the incentives for recruiters right to make those missions. Um, there's some research to show that targeting and you know it's like like you know to put it crudely like you know car car sales. You can either motivate the salesperson or mo motivate the buyer. We put a lot of money on motivating the buyer, right? You know, getting that kid to enlist. But the research shows that actually motivating the seller can be pretty darn powerful. In the case of recruiting, it can be just as as uh, strong. So what kind of incentives? Well, SDAP might be a way. Another possibility is these recruiter, I mean, back to your idea of a career enhancing promotion points, making promotion more likely if you are successful as a recruiter. So recruiter incentives matter. They matter tremendously. Um, and it involves just thinking about, uh, we, we know there's issues of free rider behavior when we went to the, the group mission that you know stations were less productive because of free riding. So so getting those incentives are are critical. It's not just about the if you know, it's not about the numbers, um, and doing careful market analysis to get the missions and the recruiters, as you say, in the right locations. That's excellent. Thank you, uh, General Davis. I want to give I want to get this question in before I and that is, um, pretend I'm an 18 year old and I'm undecided what to do and I'm I'm being offered maybe a job in an Amazon warehouse or something like that, or maybe I can go to community college or something like that. Make the case. Why Why the Army? Why should I join? Well, first of all, uh, if you're considering that, I, I said that's a step in the right direction, and that tells me we need your leadership. We need you to help us uh, strengthen this country and make us better. And it's, uh, it's men and women like that. And this is what I've shared with the, the you know, all those that I've had the opportunity to speak with, I share my story and say, we need you. We need your leadership. We need you to help us uh, become better as a nation and lead us into the future. Somebody needs to do it and needs to be you. Uh, and I share this constantly uh, because we, sh you know, we should not, uh, I think military uh, or any service is, is very powerful because it, you don't know it. I never thought I would be in a position I am now. That can happen to everyone. And they also have the, they have a shot uh, and an ability to go out there and, and, you know, serve in a capacity that they never, ever thought would occur in their life. 
So I, I simply say we need you, and we need your leadership, and we need you to carry us into the future, and I need you to make this nation and, and all of us around us stronger. Thank you for that, yeah. You know, I'll just share a personal story. I was at a dinner in Philadelphia two months ago, and I was sitting next to a gentleman, a black gentleman, and he shared that he was a partner at a major accounting firm. And I, and I said, well, what are you doing at this dinner? Because we were talking about recruiting there, too. And he said, well, I was on my porch in Baltimore with no prospects whatsoever, and a Navy recruiter came walking down the street and yelled out to three or four of us on the porch, who, want, who wants to join the Navy or something like that? And the other two, two guys said, no way, something like that. And he said, you know what? I got nothing else going on. And so he signed up to the Navy that day, successfully served in the Navy, got his college degree, got his master's degree, got his CPA, and then rose to be a partner in a major accounting firm. And he was just still proud. I mean, that was probably 30 years ago. He, he was just bursting with pride about his Navy service to that day. And uh, what a great success story that was. Um, Dr. Ash, you kind of hinted this, but where do you think the gaps lie in our understanding of the recruiting market and what's motivating people today to join? Because my sense is, because I, I can't find much about this, that there are some major gaps in our understanding. Right. So, um, you know, people have spoke a lot about the military-civilian divide, that military is becoming more insular in terms of recruiting, you know, that people who have a family member and so it becomes more isolated from the rest of society, uh, those sorts of issues. Um, so I, I do, it, it, you know, that notion that people, it's clear we have evidence that people don't know the military. They, you know, people don't know the difference between the Army and the Marine Corps, an officer and enlisted. I mean, just sort of basic facts. So the, it, there is a lack of knowledge, and I, I, that is uh, something that has to be, I think, addressed. That said, it, it does come down to, I, I think there's evidence to indicate it does come down to, the, if you say, as you're saying, the value proposition. So there was an interesting study, it was a small study, that, that queried recruits versus young people who didn't enlist and were negatively propensed. So these were individuals who didn't want to join, and they compared them to those who did join. And they asked them questions, knowledge questions, like what's a, a non-commissioned officer, like basic knowledge questions, you know, who's the you know, commander in chief? And they were equally ignorant or equally knowledgeable, whatever you want to say. They did, they, it was, there was no statistical difference in how much they knew. But those who enlisted had that value prop, they under, that they could connect the service with something that was important in, in, to them, and whereas those who didn't enlist did not. And so I, where I'm going here is it, it's about knowledge, but it's also about connecting with what can, how this speaks to people's goals in life and how they can actuate that through joining the military, yeah. Sure, if, I, if I can add, I think that's, uh, ma'am, that's a great uh, point you made. The awareness piece is so critical. So we, we may assume that many of our youth understand what military service is. She's absolutely right. I think there's an awareness. So I was at an event, Future Farmers of America in, in Indianapolis, of 60,000, um, you know, high schoolers and it was uh, you know just a wonderful event and I had the opportunity to speak with a group of maybe 20 to 30 
And I want to know, what are, what are your thoughts on military service? Uh, what comes to your mind? And what the questions I, I um, and I said, hit me up with anything you want. Uh, and they said, well, I heard that I, I can't have a pet. And I said, uh, that's not true. Uh, okay, sir. Uh, I, I thought if I don't, I'm, I've, I've been told that if I don't pass, you know, basic, I don't, I'm not paid until after I graduate from basic training. I said, that's, that's not true. So there are a lot of uh, misconceptions uh, that we have to address. And we assume that uh, many of our nation's youth understand that. And there's an awareness issue. I think 75% are unaware. And this is where we need to close that gap. Because if you want to increase those areas in terms of you know, propensity or just desire to serve, we first of all have to let them understand what service entails, which, what it truly entails. And it's not something that they're reading that's uh, that's not true. That's exactly right. And you know, another misconception I think among our youth is that you have to be superhuman strength to join the military. I, you know, I talk to the interns here about military service, and they say, "Yeah, it's all well and good, but I could never hack it. I could never do the things they ask of things in the military." And I was like, "Well, is there something wrong with you? Because you <laughs> look fine, you know." And and so the military is all about taking people that are average and making them extraordinary you know and 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 i think that's lost when again media probably does that gonna shift gears a little bit here and, and we're going to talk about uh many of your recruiters operate on high school secondary school campuses and and my sense is there's a wide disparity in how they are received across america some places they are welcome the guidance counselors make them part of the team and in other places, that is not the case. Uh, can, General Davis, can you comment on that? Yeah, absolutely, and, and thanks for that. Uh, so when you discuss access, access means different things to different people. So there's, um, there's recommended, there's desired access, there's meaningful access. So for our recruiters, now that they're uh, getting back into the schools, what we're finding out is that access varies. And each school district is different. And that's what we're looking at right now uh, to provide feedback. Now it's 44,000 you know, high schools and it takes a little bit. But what, I've, what has really opened my eyes is in terms of access, what that is to that particular school or school system. So I'll give you an example. I've spoken to uh, recruiters who are, are, are dealing with this. Now we're getting better, but uh, there are some schools where you can, you know, 100% total access, uh, free reign, any time of the day, access, work with the, you know, teachers to speak with students and tell their Army story. Others, it is, well, absolutely uh, welcome. Uh, we'd like you to uh, place you in a cafeteria uh, for about an hour. Uh, one time every two weeks, uh, and we'll give you the time the day before. Uh, there are, yeah, access, uh, uh, you know, granted, come on in. And uh, what we would ask that you only speak to those when you are spoken to. So access is something that we're really taking a look at and has opened my eyes in terms of uh, what, um, 
what exposure do we have with our wonderful men and women recruiters uh, with our future students? And let me give you a hint. Our best recruiters, uh, their superpower is, they and they've shared this, is spending time in the schools and speaking with the students. And year after year, the, the juniors that you speak to today are the ones that will approach you uh, next year as seniors. Uh, those are our most successful recruiters. My number one recruiter, and location matters, and it's probably not what you think, is uh, in Appleton, Wisconsin. My number two is in Woodbury, New Jersey. In places that, uh, in terms of, um, you know, location, you would say, well, there's not a lot of uh, uh, propensity there, but I think it is the power of that recruiter. Uh, and she in Wisconsin is crushing it and doing great. And the Sergeant First Class in the strip mall in Woodbury, New Jersey, he's loving it. And he gets out there every day and he gets into the schools. Uh, and they are just uh, having a great time. So it's not in towns that you would think it is. It's really access, that desire to succeed, and, uh, and you know, and, and that motivation. 